we're going to read together today. Okay. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpress, surprising surpassing. power, oh, surpassing, that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying the body of the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that we who knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are, are, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Here ends our reading. Pain, pain's a part of life. I think some people believe it's a test of your faith, but if you don't have a faith to believe in, it kind of makes you wonder why, why is there suffering in this world? It was a reason why he took them. Uh, maybe he needed some angels up there to protect, protect, to help him in the fight against the devil. A baby is a beautiful, wonderful thing. Why doesn't he want me to have this? Bad things are just the way that you see them. I think God's in everything we do. Why would anybody want to create people who do horrible things to each other? It doesn't make any sense. I don't think God's sitting there and saying these people are hurting and maybe I should help them. I suppose the answers will come. It's just I'm going through a journey right now that's painful. Well, good morning again to everyone here, and good morning to those tuning in uh, online through either our podcast or Facebook Live. We're so glad that you're listening in and joining us virtually as we continue in this series of exploring God and exploring the big questions of faith. This is uh, really a series that's about looking at those questions that sometimes keep people from coming to a faith in God or even believing that God exists 
but it's also questions that we as believers have, and it's important that we wrestle with them. Uh, some of the past ones we've done, we've done two weeks already. Uh, does anybody remember what the first week was? This is your pop quiz at the beginning of the sermon. Does life have a purpose is where we started. That simple question, does life have a purpose? Because that's kind of a framework for some of the other questions. Does life even have a purpose? And then last week we discussed the big one, does God exist, right? And so we just looked at the existence of God and kind of looking, is there evidence for God? We, we were real quick to point out that there, you know, we can't prove without a shadow of a doubt that there's a God, but there is evidence of God. And if you look at all the evidence, are you really truly taking weight of the evidence to see, does it point to a higher power? And so with this next question, we're going to take that as saying, okay, let's say for the sake of argument, God does exist. So if God does exist, why does God allow suffering and pain? It's a big one, isn't it? Rachel is preaching next week, and she already told me she's really glad she didn't have this week, because uh, this is a big topic. Uh, but, so before we tackle this big question of faith, why does God allow pain and suffering, uh, let's go to God in prayer and ask for guidance. Almighty God, we thank you for this time to gather in your name. No matter where we are in a journey of faith, if we're just starting out, if we've been on this path a long time, or perhaps we're looking at it, considering it, and just not knowing if it's a path we want to take, Lord, we pray that you would guide us, that you would open our hearts and our minds to see clearly your active presence in this world. And so as we dig deeper into the scriptures and we, we dig deeper into these big questions we have as human beings on this earth, we pray that your spirit would open our hearts and open our minds to receive your word, your presence in our lives. And Lord, I pray that as my words stray from yours, may they fall away and quickly be forgotten, but may your word, your truth, your promise, and your presence remain in our hearts forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray, and all the saints said, Amen. Amen. It was cold and sterile. The cool fluorescent lighting was bright as it reflected off the plain white walls, the unimpressive linoleum and stainless steel, yet it only seemed to make the room feel that much colder. There was a distinct odor that accompanied the space, a mixture of industrial cleaners, plastic and rubbing alcohol with lightly scented air fresheners. The plastic chairs were remarkably uncomfortable, causing even more shifting and adjusting to an already apprehensive occupant. See, when I envision a place of healing, this is not what comes to mind. I recognize that doctor's offices, clinics, hospitals already generate a fair amount of anxiety, but the environment, while clean and sterile, offers little comfort. Would you agree with me on that? To be fair, the problem lay not only in the decor. We do not go to these places when we are feeling well. We go hurting, sick, and fearful. We go expecting the worst. We sat anxiously awaiting the doctor. If I'm honest, 
Fear is an understatement for the emotions that ran through my mind, making me incredibly uneasy and remarkably irritable. What made matters worse was the fact that this was not my appointment. This was not my doctor. This would not be my diagnosis. We were here with my son, my baby boy, my active toddler with bright blue eyes, red hair, and a tenacity that often accompanies that particular genetic combo. The doctor emerged through the door in a flash of white with an eager young resident in tow. He was a kind and caring doctor, but this softness did little to cushion the blow we were about to receive. Our son has a rare disease and disorder called eosinophilic esophagitis. It's a condition that has components of food allergies as well as an autoimmune deficiency, and to top it all off, his particular diagnosis is severe. As the doctor began to lay out our next steps, his voice faded as I retreated into my own fearful mind. Perhaps it wasn't the end of the world, but it felt like the end of mine. Part of me died in that moment. I knew our lives would never be the same. I know in my life I've had many ups and downs. Perhaps you have too. Pretty high highs and some really low lows. But I must admit that this point in my life was the beginning of my own personal hell. Once the shock wore off, the questions began, as they often do in these tough times. God, how can you allow this to happen? Have you ever asked that that question? God, how could you allow this to happen? Why him? Why us? What have we done to deserve this? You ever asked that one? Can I take it upon myself? Most parent has asked that question before. Will this ruin him? Will this ruin our lives? God, why? Where are you? In that moment, my hope died. Where does your hope go to die? As you sit here and ponder this deep question of why does God allow pain and suffering, I want you in your own mind to go back to a moment in your own life. Where did your hope die somewhere along the way? Where did you find your hope being shattered in unrecognizable pieces all over the floor? Because it happens every day, doesn't it? Happens all around us, happens in our own lives, happens in the lives of those people we know. It occurs in exam rooms when we receive that undesired and often surprising news, it's cancer and I'm afraid it's spreading. We witness it in hospitals when all possible measures have been taken and the prognosis is far from good. We feel its rejection on parchment and written in ink displaying the words, we regret to inform you. It transpires in awkward conversations of heartbreak as couples part ways to see other people. We find it in courtrooms just as the verdict is issued. We feel its cold grip in cemeteries as the casket is lowered into the ground and the pastor reminds us that we are dust and to dust you shall return. 
These deaths happen every day in rejection, heartbreak, disappointment, devastation, and shame. Where did your hope go to die? When was a time that you were confronted with great pain and immense suffering? Did it happen with your job? Did it happen with a relationship? Did it relate to your finances? Does it have to do with your family? Does it have to do with school or some other area of your life? This is a big question. Why, God, would you allow pain and suffering? So as we begin to dig into this question a little bit, I do have a disclaimer. The disclaimer is this. First of all, I want to be clear that we're not going to solve this issue of pain and suffering in a 20 to 30 minute sermon. In fact, you can spend the rest of your life studying this question and you won't find the solution that everybody's looking for. It's like, oh, if I just thought about that, that would have answered the question. There's a whole realm of theology called theodicy that wrestles with this very question, how a good God could allow bad things to happen to good people. So we're not going to solve it. I'm not going to boil it down to some easy point that, that, uh, that solves it all. So there, it's not going to be a solution. The other thing I want to say is we're not going to minimize your pain and suffering by providing simple platitudes. Well, all you need to do is pray. If you just pray it'll be so much better. I do believe prayer helps, but perhaps like me, when you're in a difficult time, platitudes do little to help. When I'm grieving someone I've lost, telling me that they're in a better place, even while I know it, doesn't help. So I'm not going to offer you any platitudes. And lastly, we're not going to tell you that your solution will get better if you just have enough faith. Because I'm here to tell you, God doesn't work that way. Faith is important, and it does factor into this. But telling someone, if you just have enough faith, doesn't solve. And actually, it demeans the pain and suffering someone is going through. So that's the disclaimer. I'm not going to do those things, and I want to be clear. But that doesn't mean we can't wrestle with this question and perhaps gain some insight. And so I'd like to offer this first insight. This is not meant to be a platitude or anything, but it is a point of consolation. Is that when we suffer, no one is exempt from suffering, are they? To live is to suffer. It's going to happen. No one is exempt. Everyone suffers. And you can bet that if you're suffering Someone is suffering even worse than you. That doesn't help you, but at least you know you're not alone. It's not something that God has just decided you and you alone are suffering. Tyler, God just looked at you and said, you're going to suffer. Nobody else is, but you're going you're gonna to do it. You were waiting for the part of the sermon where I was going to pick on you, right? See, God's not smiting you in this situation. He's just making you suffer. So it may be a little better than smiting. So beyond that point of consolation, Tyler, is that can anything good possibly come out of pain and suffering? 
Can they? Can good come out of pain and suffering? I heard some yeses. Perhaps let's turn to some smarter people than me. There's some great quotes out there. C.S. Lewis wrote this about pain and suffering, and he knew pain and suffering from his own life. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is a megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Do you agree with that? What about this one from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross? The most beautiful people are those who have known defeat, known suffering, known struggle, known loss, and have found their way out of the depths. These persons have an appreciation, a sensitivity, and an understanding of life that fills them with compassion, gentleness, and a deep loving concern. Beautiful people do not just happen. What about Leslie Karen? In order to have great happiness, you have to have great pain and unhappiness. Otherwise, how would you know when you're happy? What about Charles Stanley, or as I like to call him, Chuck? Chuck says this, Our Heavenly Father understands our disappointment, suffering, pain, fear, and doubt. He is always there to encourage our hearts and help us understand that He's sufficient for all of our needs. When I accepted this as an absolute truth in my life, I found that my worrying stopped. But what about this final one from Helen Keller? Although the world is full of suffering, it is also full of overcoming of it. If you know anything about Helen Keller, you know that she understands a particular worldview. She understands pain and suffering. We all go through suffering. How do you view it? How do we view it? Where does God fit in to the mix? If you're new to a belief in God, perhaps even this is your first step in the direction of faith, just acknowledging that a God might exist. The chances are you really don't know much about the character of God. It's one thing to believe in the existence of God. It's a different thing to begin to understand the character of God. And beginning to understand God's character has everything to do with how we experience, how we view, and how we begin to understand aspects of our pain and suffering. So let's take a closer look at one of these character attributes of God. Here's the first one. God's not uninterested in your circumstances. This is an attribute of God. God cares about where you are in your life. God is not up on high, uninterested, just watching things because this is the greatest reality show there ever was. Mine would probably be incredibly boring, depending on how you edit it together, of course. But God is not uninterested in any aspect of your life. God cares. Like any good father, he desires good things for his children. Believe it or not, there's an entire book of the Bible that addresses the issue of suffering. Can anybody guess what that is? In the Old Testament, Job. Lamentations too. I mean, there's several actually. We're going to take a look at the book of Job. 
This is a very interesting book in the Old Testament, so the first half of the Bible before Jesus was born. And here's a little background about the book. Its style is that it's written as both prose and poetry in different parts. Understanding how it was written, its style makes a difference on how you interpret it. Its purpose is for that of history and and prophecy. The date of the book is, is, is hard to particularly date, but it may be the oldest book in the Bible. So, depending on where you fall, either way, it's a few thousand years old. The author, we don't really know who the author is. We just know that this author, from the way that they're writing and what they're writing, that they had to have been a believer in God. But their identity is unknown. And to be honest, for the purpose of this book, it doesn't matter. It's not about the author. Because this book is about a man by the name of, can you guess it? Job. And yes, it's Job, even though it's spelled Job. I don't know why we say Job instead of Job. It's kind of like a guy whose name is Brandon, but he insists on being called Brendan, even though his name is spelled Brandon. I don't know, but we'll call him Job because that's what what he wants to be called. So we are told that Job is a righteous, godly, upright guy. Right at the beginning of the book. Life is good, but then things start to go terribly wrong for poor Job, doesn't it? The bulk of the book actually lays out Job's conversation with three of his friends discussing his suffering. But listen to all that he goes through as we look at chapter 1. Now there was a day when his sons, this is Job, Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Holy cow. Talk about when it rains, it pours. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. You think you've had a bad day? This is an awful day. But notice how he responds. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. The tearing, the rending of a robe and the shaving of the head was a signing of mourning. And sometimes they would put sackcloth on and ashes. It was all an outward sign of mourning. But he fell to the ground and he worshipped and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Wow. Okay, first of all, can we acknowledge that this is a really bad, awful day? 
Can you imagine putting yourself in the shoes of Job and all of this happening? It's not to say that what you go through, your pain and suffering isn't bad, but I'd venture to say that this is worse, perhaps. This is awful. But isn't it interesting how Job responds? Does anything stick out to you in how he responds? Anybody? What sticks out to you in his response? That he worshiped. Henry? Maybe he was trying to please God? It sounds like it was on his mind in all of this. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe he's thinking something worse could happen. I'm going to turn to God. Maybe so. Anybody else? What sticks out to you in his response? He didn't blame God. Isn't it interesting? Job never asked the question, why me? And I'd venture to say that's one of the first questions most of us ask. I know at least me and my own suffering, that's the first question I go to is, why me? Why not somebody else? Because obviously I'm the most important person, so why me? But Job doesn't ask that question. Instead, it's almost like he just asks, what now? What now? Job takes a very particular and specific perspective when it comes to his suffering. Instead of looking for a scapegoat, he begins to consider different questions. Job doesn't seem to display a mindset of entitlement, does he? Notice in what he says at the end. Naked I came to this world, naked I'll leave. God gives, but God can take away. I admire Job. I tend to be extremely entitled when it comes to my own pain and suffering. That's why I'm quick to jump to the question, why me? But does the Bible have anything else to say about suffering? Actually, it has a lot to say about suffering. Even in the New Testament, Paul discusses it in his second letter to the church in Corinth. He has this to say, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. It's an interesting perspective. Well, what about Paul's letter to the church in Rome? For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's a different perspective. What about Peter? Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Here's a question as we consider that verse. Is all suffering forever? Does every season of suffering keep going and keep going and keep going? 
usually there's an end to a season of suffering. Consider Paul's words again in Romans. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Let's, let's consider that for a moment. Let's rejoice in our sufferings. Not something we tend to say about, you know, bring it on, bring on the pain. It hurts so good. Rejoice in your suffering. Know that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our, our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So considering our original question, can good things come out of suffering? Do you see that good things can come out of suffering? Perhaps have you seen it in your own life? Could it be Could it be that when we hit moments of pain and suffering that we are merely asking the wrong questions about our pain and suffering? Do you believe that there are wrong questions we can ask? Might a change of perspective be more productive? Perhaps let's not talk about wrong or right questions because I think any question can be right, but are there questions that are more productive than others? How do you respond to suffering? What do you do when you lose hope and when hope dies? As you consider that question for yourself, I know how I respond and how I've responded. I know where those questions have led me and where they're still leading me. Going back to our conversation earlier about sharing about my life, my hope died in that exam room with my son's diagnosis. See, at the time, our son was not yet two, but like any parent, his birth gave birth to new dreams in my own life. In those first few moments of life, as I held him in my arms, I envisioned a happy child who would grow and thrive just as any parent would do. I would teach him what it means to be a man and how to brave the elements in fireside chats over marshmallows. I would one day watch him step forward before the church and proclaim his faith in his creator and embrace Jesus as a savior. I would watch him excel in school and graduate with honors, because that's every parent's dream, right? While I sat in the audience with tears in my eyes while insisting that it was just an eyelash or my contact lenses. We would discover his passions in life and figure out how to pursue that and make a living on his own, not living with his parents. One day I would officiate his wedding or sit proudly on the front row. One day I would introduce him, or or he would introduce me to the newest member of my family, and we would embrace our grandchild. You see, these expectations and hopes may be unfair or even unrealistic, but any honest parent would admit that we all have them, don't we? A kid comes to your life, you have these expectations. Simply put, we want our children to grow, thrive, excel, and find happiness in life. So we create a virtual reality in our minds based on our own perception of what might bring that into existence. We hope for them. We hope for the best and what we think is best. 
You see, and as the doctor spoke, I watched those dreams buried in a grave. My reality shattered and tumbled to the ground. The death of my hope gave birth to a nightmare. Dreams were replaced with endless doctor's visits and hospital stays. I already grieved in that moment when I imagined his shame as he watched his friends enjoying a snack with goodies he would never be able to eat. I already pictured his embarrassment as he tried to invite a girl on a date knowing that a dinner date would have him watching her eat. Would his special needs allow him to go camping with me to enjoy those marshmallows by a fireside? Would he still excel or would his happiness be replaced with despair that I now felt? See, in a brief moment, my high hopes for my son died and I found myself lost in its wake. Have you been there? I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. That year was the toughest year of my life. And I still have wounds to show for it. And while we haven't figured it all out, and frankly, it still sucks, time, reflection, and prayer have allowed me a new insight and an ever-evolving perspective. You see, in, in my own pain and suffering, asking why has done litter, little to drive, bring comfort to me. Perhaps you've been there. You ask why, and it brings no comfort. I still ask it from time to time, but I never seem to arrive at an answer that seems fitting. What has brought me comfort? I can share with you this. What has brought me comfort is trusting that God is good and that God is loving and that God cares even more deeply for my son than I ever could. What has brought me comfort is trusting that God can bring beauty out of brokenness. Knowing that my son's weakness just might become his strength in life. Because I see him and I see the tenacity that he has and he's going to have to have with this illness. A tenacity that I don't possess and I admire in him. What brings me comfort is believing in a day when all our brokenness is restored. A day when my son's allergies disappear. Frankly, when my own allergies disappear. That day that Scripture speaks of when the lame walk, when the mute talk, and the deaf hear. A day when our sin is no more, and we get to witness with our own eyes the world as it should be. The one Jesus promises. When things go bad for you, how will you respond? If you're not in a moment of pain and suffering now, chances are you may be heading into one. Most of life is you're either heading into a moment of season of suffering, you're in it, or you're coming out of it. So how will you respond? Will you lament or will you look forward? Because lamenting is looking back. And having a moment of lamenting is okay. It's okay to ask those difficult questions, but if you linger there, you never move forward if you're always looking back. So will you lament or will you look forward? Will you ask, why me? Or will you take a page out of Job's book and ask, what now? Or as was shared with Kate and I one time, will you remain bitter or will you seek to be better? 
In life, you have a choice. You can be bitter or you can be better. How will you respond? What questions will you ask? See, this is not just a question for you, but it's one for all human beings. Because can you imagine what it might be like if we could all change our perspective perspective on suffering? If we could all change our perspective on suffering, how could that change the world? Can you imagine if our entire community decided never to play the victim? Wouldn't that be interesting? Can you imagine if our entire community decided, like Job, to ask not why me, but what now? What can I do now? No matter the circumstances? Can you just imagine with me a moment, a world with that? Can we take it one step closer to that by ourselves asking a different set of questions? The bottom line for our discussion is this. I'm sorry that I can't answer the question of suffering for you. If you came with expecting that, I'm really sorry to disappoint. But hopefully you do have a renewed perspective because the bottom line is this. Because God is greater than we are, we cannot fully understand or explain all the problems we encounter. We can't do it. Our minds wouldn't even be able to comprehend God's reasons because they are far greater than us. If God can look at the whole world and see everything all at once, past, present, and future, how can we comprehend that? However, we can be certain of things. We can be certain of God's perfect power and His perfect timing, His perfect purpose, and His perfect love. Why does God allow pain and suffering? I don't really know but I have to believe that there's a higher purpose for it. And maybe sometimes the suffering, there's no purpose that we can discern, and that's okay. We may never know, but we can be sure of God's love. Let us go to God in prayer. God, we thank you for being a God who does care for us in those difficult times. But Lord, as we wrestle with the difficult questions of faith, we need your presence. As we reach seasons and moments of pain and suffering, we need you more than ever. So we'd ask that as we enter those seasons that you would make yourself known, perhaps in the presence of a close friend or loved one, or maybe someone we're meeting for the first time. That you'd bring about healing in the best way that we can experience healing. And that, Lord, you could help direct us to ask the questions that bring about hope in our lives instead of the questions that lead nowhere. You love us. Lord, help us to love you more. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the saints said, Amen.